The gift of tongues is first mentioned by Jesus in the Gospel of Mark and 27 more times in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul references this as a gift from Holy Spirit for both the individual and the corporate church body. Given the scriptural significance and role this has for the body of Christ, one must ask themselves, why is this not discussed more in pulpits and teachings throughout modern-day churches? What is it about this and some other gifts of Holy Spirit that has so many leery to approach the subject? Why do many profess this went away with the early church and is not relevant for today's modern-day church? Please consider joining us for a historical and scriptural breakdown of the gift of tongues. What is it and why is it offered? everybody. My name is Mark. You're watching and or listening to the Russick Outlook. Thank you so much for joining. Today's topic is the gift of tongues. What is it and why is it offered? Uh, Jesus first referenced this gift in the, uh, in the Gospel of Mark. It's later indicated five times in the book of Acts and 22 times in 1 Corinthians, bringing us to a total of 28 references. So you would think 28 times it becomes very, very significant and important uh, in the Word of God and to the believer himself or herself. And with that being said, I personally look at the church today and in many, many instances, people either don't know what it is, they're leery of it, they're, uh, they're in some cases afraid of it. I've seen certain pastors try to teach on a subject and they're, you know, they're, you could see the leeriness in them or you could see how they're kind of trying to dance gingerly, almost like they're walking on a box of eggshells. So I want to, my, my, my heart is to get into well, why some of this apprehension is out there. And I think we can point to some things, and I'll, I'll bring this up from a historical perspective. But more importantly, I want to break down what the gift of tongues is, the purposes to the church, to the individual, and to the body. There are different um, roles or... or um, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure of the word I want, but there, yeah, there's different roles that it has, again, for the, for the church body itself and for the individual. So we're going to break all of that down, and, and my hope is by the end that you'll get a better understanding of, of what the gift of tongues is, its purpose, why it was brought to the body of Christ, and if, if, if not for anything else, that you would come out of this, and I'll, and I'll explain it, scripturally, that you would come out of this from a curious standpoint if you have not experienced it or you just don't know what it is, maybe. Um, on that note, I'm just going to pause for a second. If you wouldn't mind, please hit the like and subscribe button, whatever the platform you're on. We're on YouTube, Rumble, all the podcast platforms. Ring the bell. Um, and share the information if you like, if you think it's valuable. Uh, for our podcast listeners, if you could give us a, a rating, five stars would be nice. And again, you know, share the information if you think this is a value or maybe a value or, or, you know, to somebody else, to a friend, coworker, another church member, etc. Um, and then last, I, I would ask if you would go to the RussickOutlook.com, sign up for our email list. We notify you of new teachings. We're going to be doing some new things beginning in April, um, and we're, you know we're, we're going to have some more Zoom, more Zoom presentations. 
but also there's going to be some guests on here that we're going to start a, 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 an additional phase to to what we're doing here at the Russick Outlook. And we just notify you of that. That's all. So let me get into this. So as I said, we're talking about the gift of tongues. What is it and why is it offered? So first, let's define what tongues is. Tongues is a known language except to the person speaking. Hmm. That sounds kind of... Uh, difficult to to process, but the reason is which God gives a believer for the purpose of prayer and or praise to God. And as I said in in the opening, this is mentioned in the book of Acts, 1 Corinthians. Jesus himself introduces it when he says this in, uh, um, in, in the book of Mark, chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. He says, and these signs will follow those who believe, in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. He goes on to say they will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Chapter 12, Paul mentions this as the gift of Holy Spirit, from Holy Spirit or gift of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 14, Paul lists how this gift is supposed to function in the body, both in a uh, public or a corporate or a church setting, as well as a private setting. And we're going to get into all of that. So that's where I was, I was alluding to the fact that it has different roles, different responsibilities. So you know, I met most believers, you're going to be familiar with this when it's called Pentecost. It's, it's the Jewish uh, feast. And this is uh, 50 days after uh, Jesus had uh, rose from the dead. So uh, where are we? Acts, let me bring this to the video. I apologize. Uh, When the day of Pentecost had finally come, they were all with one accord in one place. And there's three uh, actions that I want to point out here. And suddenly there came a sound, and I have that highlighted in yellow, from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them visually uh, divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So I show you those three actions there, the wind and the fire, and we don't see any reference to that after this, but we do continuously see and uh, reference to speaking in tongues. So I'm going to go on, go on to uh, to finish this. And there were and, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, the multitude came together. They were confused because everyone heard them in his or her own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all those who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language, each in, in the language which we, which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pal, Pal, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Crayene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So picture the setting. Holy Spirit comes upon them, tongues of fire, the, the wind, they hear it, they, and, and they see the tongues of fire, and they begin to speak in other tongues. And all of these different languages are, are being referenced. So you see people from 
pretty much all over that that greater Asia Minor area and in, in parts of you know Israel and the surrounding uh, territories in 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 uh, um, uh, Lebanon, which you would you know t- today modern day Lebanon, um, Greece, Syria, etc. So they're all there, and they and they're they're hearing this in their own languages from others that that are speaking it that are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what I wanted to point out here is, let me go back to the video for a second. I highlight this in green. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? And I put there in parentheses, they're curious. And the reason I do this is because there's two different reactions. So if you're there, the one is curiosity, the other is critical, because others mocked them and said they are full of new wine. And... uh, you know, you know that wasn't the case, and, and and Peter alluded to that. But you know, my point here is, I think that's what you see today. If I mention the gift of tongues, there are some who will mock it, criticize it, say it's not relevant, it's not here. It was just for the times of the apostles, and there are others who were curious. And hopefully, if you're not experienced it, you would be curious as to learn a little bit more about it. So. Again, I'm just drawing that parallel to what we see today. Um, So the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is different here. It comes at the time of salvation, but this is an empowerment of God's Spirit uh, subsequent to salvation and is really the way it happens oftentimes in Scripture. And there's actually a reference in um, Acts 10. It happens to Cornelius. He both receives the indwelling and the power uh, and the empowerment of Holy Spirit there. But more often than not, just just about every other time in the Bible, what happens is you receive Holy Spirit when you are born again, when you believe and you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. But the what's referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate occurrence, and that's really what we're talking about here. So this day of Pentecost that happened, this was a Jewish holiday. It's been going on for 1,400 years prior to this, but this was the fulfillment of the day of Pentecost. This was the fourth feast that was fulfilled in the springtime uh, of the Hebrew calendar. So I wanted to point out some things here that would back up you know, what I'm saying. Uh, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart. This is Jesus. This is also incredibly important. Jesus commands them. Uh, after he's appeared to them as the resurrected Messiah, do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And that's often, I think, you know, missed. But it's so important that he wants you to receive the empowerment of Holy Spirit. He's talking to his believers, his disciples, his his friends, his mother is there, Mary is there. And um, I'll probably mention that later, but... Uh, and he says that he goes on to say this for John truly baptized with water okay it's a baptism in water if you've been water baptized uh but you shall be baptized with the holy spirit many days from now so he's telling them you've been you know i know you've been water baptized but this is different so there's two different baptisms and this is jesus speaking uh, so the apostles are then commissioned. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were sent, assembled for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, 
peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad they recognized this as Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you as your father has sent me. I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So that's separate. So we're talking about that, you know, the two different occurrences. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of, uh, of any, they are retained. And that's in reference in John 20. So you see the difference in Acts 1 and John 20. They're two very distinct um, uh, actions uh, by, by the Holy Spirit. So the next question is now, you know, it's clear Jesus is saying that you will receive Holy Spirit. One of these signs will be that you you speak in an unknown tongue, you speak in an unknown language. So the question begs, why would God give you an unknown language? Why would God give you something that you don't understand? And and we're going to get into a little bit of this now uh, because it it wrestles with your intellect. It wrestles with your uh, your, 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 your cerebral processing. So, you know, on that note, I would say this. How often do you try to communicate something and that person doesn't understand it? And I can, I, I have to go to the fact of husband and wife. Uh, husband and wife, that they have to learn to communicate with one another. They could be saying the same thing, but they say it in, 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 in a different manners. Um, and, you know, no secret there. Actually, let me break to the video. You know, I reference here on the bottom the, the book that most people are very familiar with. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Um, so we don't always communicate or get the message across the way that, that we need to. And I would say that the Lord is, is offering this to you as a means of effective prayer, effective instruction, um, uh, 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 effective, I don't want to say, maybe governance is the right word, or direction. Um, so we've all experienced this. We've all experienced having troubles communicating and, you know, you're, you're saying something or they may be taking it the wrong way. Um, but this allows the, the ability to bypass the, la the limitations of language, and it allows God to connect directly from heart to heart, from his heart to your heart. Um, Acts 2.11, they heard them declaring the wonderful works of God in their own language. We just, you know, we just referenced that. So they're not able to understand what's coming out of their mouth but yet others who knew that, knew that language, so let's just say Persians, for instance, it referenced the Medo-Persians in there, um, they may have heard their, their language, but they also, you know, the person who was speaking didn't understand it, but that Persian person uh, understood that they were declaring the wonderful works of God in their own language. So they're praising God, they're worshiping God, they're, they're, they're giving exaltation, they're giving glory to God. Um, Acts 10.46, they heard them speaking in another language, magnifying the acts of God. So, you know, the, the, the results of what's coming out is clear that it's a very distinct, purposeful communication. It'll, it bypasses your brain. And, and I would say this is a case, too. A lot of times... If you go to your prayer closet, you may not always know what to say or 
I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way too. Suppose you're convicted of sin and you know that and you go to the Lord and you're just having problems expressing yourself, but this kind of bypasses that those difficulties and allows the Lord to speak directly to you. So I've given you the, you know, the examples of how we understand this today, uh, you know, it, with our own vernacular. And there's a, there's a quote here that I, I thought would be appropriate. Uh, it says, I know that you believe you understand what you think I said, but I am not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. And, and I would say that we see a lot of that uh, in today in different, in different circumstances. I'd like to offer you a different example in the Bible of how Jesus meets you by bypassing your language. And this is kind of a little bit of a side trail, but I, I, I think it hits the point, and hopefully it will with you. Um, I wanted to talk about the parables of Jesus just for a, a moment here. Uh, let me cut to the video. So there are 35 parables in the four Gospels. 19 of them are unique to, to the book of Luke. But many times, oftentimes, Jesus uses the word or the term like, especially about the kingdom of God. Consider Matthew 13 if you want. That's, that's a great chapter to go through uh, concerning his parables in the kingdom of God. But even when they are not formally using the term, it certainly implies it because he, told, he tells them this to illustrate truth, and Jesus is truth. So a parable can be understood as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So I, I, I guess kind of what I'm giving you the example here is Jesus uses parables to describe the kingdom of heaven, but he uses it in your language. So he, he's finding another way to get the message across to you that you might not have understood, but he does that. And I, and I would say the reference is a teacher today. If you're sitting in a class, perhaps, and the teacher explains something, and you don't understand, and you raise your hand or, you know, whatever it is, you say, I'm sorry, Mr. or Mrs., whoever, uh, I, I, I'm not really, uh, I'm not grasping that. I'm not, pro I'm not able to process it. So that teacher will come alongside of you and say, possibly say, well, let me, let me give you an example of what I mean, and they might describe another situation, and then well, hopefully the light bulb goes off and you get it. And this is what I think is a lot of times of how Jesus used parables, breaking the language barrier, if you will, from the earthly processing, because this is a heavenly message to an earthly mind. And I, I would say there's a very distinct parallel where the Holy Spirit with this language is able to bypass your earthly language limitations or your earthly processing where it goes directly from heaven, from the Spirit of God into you, into your body, into your temple, into your heart, uh, and into your mind. So those are some examples that I would say that we can see today of how we, you know, they, they, Jesus bypasses the, the limitations of language. I'm going to give you something that Chuck Smith said. Uh, Chuck Smith is, is I'm, I'm smirking and I'm laughing because of the movie that's out now, The Jesus Revolution. And a lot of this is about the story of Chuck Smith, who is a, a, a wonderful pastor, went on to be with the Lord a number of years ago. But he talks about the, the gift of tongues, and he says this, this is the one gift of the Spirit that is an insult to one's intellect. And, and, and I say this because it is, it, I'll, I'll, again, I'll cut back to video for a second. 
uh, it is the supernatural utterance by the Holy Spirit in a language never learned by the speaker, not understood by the mind of the speaker, and nearly not always understood by the hearer. It has nothing to do with linguistic ability, mind, or intellect. Man's will is active along with his spirit and speech organs, but the mind that is operating is the mind of God through the Holy Spirit. The linguistic skill of man is no more employed in speaking with tongues than the surgical skill of a man who was employed when at Peter's word, rise and walk, and the lame man rose and walked. In short, it is a Holy Spirit gift. So this, again, it bypasses your intellect. You're speaking this unknown language. You're not able to understand and process what, what what's happening, but it will edify you, and, it, and we'll go into a couple of examples of how it's used not only personally but for the body of Christ. Um, and, and, and so the example there he that, that that's given here is with Peter, and, you know, Peter lays hands on them and it, on the sick and they recover using the authority in the name of, of, of Jesus. And you can't process or understand that. From, it's like a surgeon wouldn't understand that. Um, I've had a, a very, I, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole. I had a very um, traumatic uh, physical experience when I was a child and I was miraculously healed and the doctors couldn't explain it. And it was later revealed to me um, by the Lord. As a matter of fact, if time allows, I maybe I'll, I'll, I'll tell it here. But um, it's it was an absolute miracle, and it bypassed the intellect of these doctors, as healings often will. If you're miraculously healed, I've seen a um, uh, uh, the, the the lame walk. I've seen people were able to get out of their crutches in their wheelchairs. Um, I, I, I saw a man with a severe hump many, many years ago in a service, and uh, somebody else laid hands on him, and you literally could see, you know, the man's back straighten up. Um, so these are things that bypass the intellect. So now I want to get to why we may be experiencing some of the apprehension and the leeriness that we do in the churches today. Up until, like, well, let's say this, the first century church, but we're clear believers, and does this mean that it's available today? So that's really the discussion. That's the uh, that's the question. Most people, when they you know when they read this and they read the Bible, and if they're a Christian, they say yep. And a lot of people will say, well, you know what? That was for back then. That doesn't apply today. That was only for the apostles and their disciples and the people who were surrounding them. Um, but but that's. And I'll give you some of the history of this, but I would say scripturally, that's wrong. That's dead wrong. Probably not the right word to use, but we're resurrected here. <laughs> Hopefully you understand what I'm saying. Uh, so let's talk about this. So there's a, a term called cessationist, and they are the ones who believe that this is for the uh, apostles and, and for the first, uh, for the early church. Uh, it is a doctrine that spiritual gifts such as speaking in tongues, it also references prophecy, healings, were only for that age, and it ceased with the completion of the Bible. In other words, they're saying once the Bible was complete, once the Word of God had been completed and, and recognized and, and uh, canonized and, and was complete, 
in their estimation, case done, that's it, no more for today. I would say, look at 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. I think it's very clear that's not the case. Uh, so I have this up on the screen for the people watching on video. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part that we prophesy in part. But that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. And some will say, well, wait a minute, hold on. He goes on to say, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. This is Apostle Paul. I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, that's today, we see in the mirror dimly, but then for a time that is in the future, face to face. So again, he says, for now we see in the mirror dimly, we see ourselves in the flesh with our earthly limitations, but then we will see each other face to face. That's a future time. Then, well, what is then? He goes on to say, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. So in other words, when you come face to face with Jesus, you will know as you are known through the eyes of Jesus. You will have that revelation of who you, <clears throat> we recognize in who we are today through what I would say a dim light, a, 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 a very low lit, lit room. We don't get the big picture and we won't get the big picture until we see Jesus face to face. So when we see Jesus face to face, there will be no need for the gift of tongues. There will be no need for prophecy. There will be no need for healings. And that's what he's alluding to. So it's, it's crystal clear that the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy and, and other gifts of the Spirit are for today's church as it was back in the time uh, of Jesus in the first century church. So, you know, with all due respect, uh, you know, for those who may not believe or, or question, that's fine. But when I look at Scripture, and again, you want you want Scripture to define Scripture. You want the Word of God to to address the questions that you have. And w when He says, "I shall know just as I am known," as Jesus knows me, so it's it's very clear that these gifts are for the, the modern church. Additionally. Uh, you know, I mentioned the first century, you had Ignatius, uh, you had Justin Martyr, second. These are, these are the early church fathers. They were taught by, uh, by, by, by the Apostle John. Um, they, they, they were raised in the faith. These are some of, you know, Ignatius, Justin Martyr um, in the second century, and then Irenaeus and Tertullian in the third century. I say all this because their writings include the gifts of the Spirit. They talk about and they write about the experiences of the gift of the Spirit. And then I go on with the, uh, our early church fathers, meaning a lot of what we know from the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, things that we read in our books today, everything that was taught right up to the turn of the 20th century included all of these things. Uh, Adam Clark, Albert, here, let me show you on here, um, Albert Barnes, A.T. Robertson, Matthew Henry. I'm going to quote John Wesley from his journal in 1750. He says, the grand reason why the miraculous gifts were soon withdrawn 
was not only that faith and holiness were well-nigh lost, but that dry, formal, orthodox men began to ridicule whatever gifts they did not have themselves to cry them all its evil madness. So, you know, these are some of our very significant early church uh, teachers of the last, you know, several hundred years, plus going back to the early church of, uh, of, of just after Jesus had, had um, ascended into heaven. They all talked about the gifts of the Spirit. They all talked about gift of tongues, prophecy, healings. This was not anything foreign to them. So, what, but, but Wesley's saying the people who do not have it, do not understand it, again, they ridicule it. They mock it. Just as we saw in the book of Acts earlier, what happened? They decried them as being drunk with wine, but yet others were curious. So either you're going to be a mocker or, a, a, you know, a ridicule, or, or you're going to have a curious mind. My hope is if you've not experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you don't know what I'm talking about, that you'd at least be curious to look into it. Um, that's, you know, just my, my, my two cents. But additionally, what was interesting is, um, you know, one of the great revivals and great awakenings that, you know, that happened, we, we've, we had the, the great awakening around the time of the, the founding of America and shortly before that, then you had another great awakening um, right around the time of the Civil War and the freedom of the slaves. Um, and then maybe 50 years or so after that, right at the turn of the 20th century, you had, um, you know, what, what was referenced to as Azusa Street, the Azusa Street revivals. And, you know, many Christians, you're very familiar with this. And if, and if you're not, I, I, I strongly advise you to look it up. But this is really the, the birth of the modern Pentecostal movement as we know it today. And I show you some of the early pictures and signs from there and the uh, apostolic faith, and it says Pentecost has come. And this is, you know, this all happened in the city of angels, in the city of Los Angeles. And on the right-hand side, you know, you see all these crutches and uh, different, you know, medical instruments that, that people were hampered with, um, that the miracles they received. And this went on for probably... I'm going to say four or five years, maybe even a little bit longer. But it was the same thing. People were apprehensive. They didn't understand it. So they began to ridicule it. They began to mock it, and specifically tongues, because the gift of tongues was, was prevalent there. So now we're going to go into you know, how it's used individually and corporately because we see these different examples and see some things that have, that have happened. So I want to go to 1 Corinthians 14. Um, and it says this, Therefore, let him who speaks in tongues pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in, in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So he's talking about I'm praying in an unknown tongue, but my, you know, my spirit benefits, but my understanding, I don't understand it. And again, that, that where, where Chuck Smith you know, talks about how it's an insult to your intellect. What is the conclusion then? This is the Apostle Paul. I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks, but the other is not edified, meaning, you know, if, if you're in a church. 
He goes on to say, I thank God I speak with tongues more than you all. So Paul is writing this letter to the to the church of Corinth, and he says, I thank God I speak tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, in the corporate body, in the, in the gathering of the assembly of the saints, I would rather speak five words with my own understanding that I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So in other words, if you're speaking and you're praying in an unknown tongue and people are there, they're not getting blessed by it. They're not getting edified. But you're not you're not doing any good to the church body there. So he's saying, I would rather give five words of instruction that they could understand in, in whatever the language is. So, and it, he says, tongues are assigned to unbelievers. Brethren, do not be children in your own understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law, it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Let me cut to video here. Um, uh, follow me on video in the yellow highlight on the bottom, verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say, you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he, he is convicted by all. Thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. So falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly amazing. So right there, you know, he's saying it's a sign to unbelievers. Now, how do we keep this in church meetings? I'm staying with uh, 1 Corinthians 14. This is in... So now, you know, I just want to be clear. I'm talking specifically in the body of Christ when you come together. It says this in verse 26. Whenever, how, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a re revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification, meaning to build you up. If anyone speaks in a tongue... Let there be two, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let them interpret. So there he's saying, if you're in the church gathering, and you, and, and, and I've seen this, so somebody goes up and they feel like they're supposed to, they have the gift of tongues, and they will speak in tongues. So the, everybody in the whole church, however big or small, they don't understand what's going on unless there is someone there to interpret, and that is another aspect or role of the gift of tongues where that, um, where that uh, translation, if you will, comes in. But if there is no, it goes on to say, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. Let him speak to himself and to God. And then verse 33, and I think this is the most important, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So in other words, if, if you're going into church, and, and I've seen this, and depending upon, I, I, my opinion, depending upon your setting of where you are, whether it's maybe a little bit more of a, um, a traditional conservative type church, uh, 
you know, and if somebody's in there and they're praying and they're speaking in tongues, it doesn't do anybody any good. It's particularly if, if you're not a believer, because at that point you may say, what's going on here? You may get a little freaked out. So that's why there are specific instructions of how you would do this corporately. Um, so that's the corporate setting that you would have, it says two or three at the most, would give that interpretation. But privately, when you're praying in your own prayer closet, remember, you know, the Lord tells you, go in your closet, close the door and pray to God. You know, you don't need other people to show you. And you would pray in this language, but you're praying to the heart of God. It's a personal one-on-one. So that's different than in the church body. So I would say, you know, to pray mostly, you know, in this in your prayer closet or with a small group setting, if you have a home Bible study, perhaps, and the people who you are, you know, you're in that study with, maybe, you know, they understand about the gift of tongues, they've received it. So I want to segue just a little bit back to the interpretation of tongues. So let me show you back on video for a second here. Um, It is a supernatural showing forth by the spirit of the meaning of the utterance in other tongues. This is not an operation of the mind of the interpreter. So the, yeah, right, that's another important piece. The interpreter, it's not like he's getting this, you know, right away as it's coming out. This is a prompting by Holy Spirit after the, the, uh, the tongues have been spoken. The interpreter never understands the tongue he is interpreting. I'm sorry. The interpreter never understands the tongue he is interpreting. So it's not like whatever they're saying. So they're not speaking into the language of another person. So in other words, I'm going to use Chinese, for instance. If somebody, you know, understand that interpreter understands Chinese, it's not like he's going to get that lowdown in Chinese. He doesn't understand it until Holy Spirit gives that to him. Uh, Both utterances are equally direct from the mind of the Spirit of God. Both the person who's giving the the gift of tongues, speaking the gift of tongues, and the interpreter, the interpretation. Uh, The purposes of the gift, to make the gift of tongues intelligible to others so that they can understand what God is saying to them. Let one interpret that the church may receive edifying, 1 Corinthians 14, 27. The 14th chapter shows that this is a gift exclusively for use in the assembly of believers. Without this gift, speaking with tongues is unprofitable in the assembly. Uninterpreted speaking should be expressly prohibited in public gatherings of believers. Um, All right, I'm not going to. Acts 2. We're not, were not the 120 speaking to God at Pentecost when they felt it? They were speaking to God. And did, not, and did not what was overheard come as messages to the devout Jews? Was not the recital to God of his marvelous works a recital to men of the same works? Remember, they were saying that they're marveling at God. They're reciting the, the wonderful works of God. And was it not exactly this that constituted the message and convicted the hearers of the need to to that same knowledge of God? So again, it's glorifying, it's edifying uh, uh, um, God. And the other thing I would say, and you know, this might be a little bit of a blow to um, my 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 Catholic friends. And let me say this: that I'm born and raised Catholic. Went to Catholic grammar school, Catholic high school. I was an altar boy, so I get it. 
Mary was one of the 120. Mary was there, and it said, all spoke with other tongues. All means all. When God says all, God means all, everyone, including Mary. That's not even, to me, up for interpretation. So Mary had the gift of tongues. Uh, So, you know, the main points I want to bring out here as I start to wind this down, the scriptural evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jerusalem at Pentecost, they were filled with the Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, Acts 2.4. In Caesarea, eight years later, on the Gentiles, it was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues, Acts 10.46. At Euphus, 23 years after Pentecost, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with other tongues, Acts 19.6. It is not recorded that Paul spoke with tongues when he received his baptism in the Spirit, but it later records that it made it obvious that he did in Acts 9.17 and 1 Corinthians 14-18. through 18. So there you have examples of many, many years later, the baptism of the Holy Spirit of, of, of speaking in tongues. So he that speaks in a tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands him, howbeit in the spirit he speaks divine secrets. He makes it clear that tongues are not unto men, but unto God. 1 Corinthians 14.2 Believers may magnify God. Acts 10.46 We may edify ourselves. He that speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Uh, That's 1 Corinthians 14.4 Uh, Let me get back to video just to show you these in case you wanted to see them. That our spirits as distinct from our understanding might pray. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. Uh, That with the gift of interpretation of tongues, the church may be edified. So here you have the church being edified. You have the individual being edified. There's these different roles of how it works. So do all receive the the gift of, 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 of speaking in tongues? No, and I'm going to break this down. But before I do, the greatest gift of all is love. So no matter what we say here, what the Word of God says, and I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 13. Many people know this as the love chapter, but I, uh, I want to point out what it says right at the very beginning. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging, or a clanging cymbal. Goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and although I have faith that I could move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So this, no matter what we're talking about, the Apostle Apostle Paul breaks this down that these gifts don't mean anything unless you're walking in love unless you're willing to love your enemy, unless you're willing to pray for your enemy and to, uh, and to forgive others. So I, I, I think that's clear. So, the, you know, the question is, am I supposed to speak in tongues? Are you supposed to speak in tongues? 
And I would say this, not every believer speaks in tongues. It's, it's just, you know, the fact. There are those who aspire to, and, and in that case, I would say, you know, ask the Lord, pray to the Lord. Pray to go to your pastor, go to, you know, somebody, uh, you know, authority perhaps in your church, somebody you trust, somebody who's mature. And if you have more questions, seek them out. And uh, and again, I would say go to the Holy Spirit as a as a one who's curious. You know, these gifts are offered to the body. There's nothing wrong with asking, you know. Um, so let, let, let me let me show you, you know, my reference for this. So not every believer has this particular gift, but everyone has a gift or gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing each one individually as he wills. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 31, Now you are the body of Christ, members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophet, third teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administration, varieties of, of tongues. So, you know, this is not often talked about, too. These are some natural gifts, that side, side subject that the Lord has given you. If you're one who is able to do administrative work, that you have a you have a mind that can be help organize things. I would say pastors are in dire need of that. The churches are in dire need of it. God has blessed you with that ability. Uh, if you're one who's able to exhort and to encourage others, that's just a natural gift God has given you. Uh, if you naturally are a giver, and it doesn't necessarily have to mean money, if you you know if you just want to give your time to somebody or your talents to somebody, uh, you know that God has given you. These are natural gifts that that the Lord has bestowed upon him. But he goes on to say. Are all prophets? Uh, are all apostles? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gift of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. So Holy Spirit is, is, is speaking through uh, the Apostle Paul then. He's saying you're not going to have all of these gifts, but all of these gifts are bestowed upon the body. So you know, there are many, many, many instances, both in the Bible and, and outside, where, especially with pastors, where they'll operate in, in more than one gift. Um, and I would say that, you know, you've all been given gifts, and it's really, that's between you and the Lord and you and Holy Spirit. But I go back to make yourself open, make yourself available. Um, I'm going to close with two things. First Peter 4, 10 through 11. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength of God that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. So, you know, there you have it, that Use what God has given you. Bless others. Be a blessing to your church, to your community, to your neighborhood, to your work, whatever the role is, to your family, whatever it is. But, you know, do that. Use what God has given you. Use what God has blessed you with. If it's the gift of tongues, which is available today, so be it. Um, I'm just going to close and give you two things. That, that, that I'm going to give you my experience and something that I observed. So when I first came to the Lord and I was seeking him, 
Um, I spent probably close to 10 years. As I said, I went to a Catholic high school, Catholic grammar school. Um, in my 20s, I just felt like there was more. So I was going to different churches in my area and different towns, different denominations. I had a hunger for the Lord, but I didn't know what to do. And I remember, you know, going to uh, a charismatic Pentecostal type church in Hackensack, New Jersey, uh, when I was in my 20s. And I, and I saw the gift of tongues present there. And I remember not understanding it, but not being freaked out by it. Like there, there was a curiosity I had, didn't really understand it. So that was my first exposure to it. Then um, several years later, I wound up giving myself to the Lord. And this was in a non-denominational, charismatic-type church. It was just, I reached a point where, you know, I had been searching and searching, and finally, you know, the Lord said, here I am, and I got it. Here's where I'm going. This is what happened to me. It doesn't happen to everybody. It doesn't make me any different or any better than any worse than anybody. So I remember giving myself to the Lord. This was in Edison, New Jersey, and uh, there was a few of us there that day, and they said, okay, you know, we'll escort you off and explain to you what happened. So they, a couple people, they put one person on, I'm going to say three or four people, whatever it was. And I remember uh, um, the, the custodian, he wound up being, you know, I wound up being good friends with him. He was the custodian of the church, and he was just explaining to me, you know, what happened, you know, there to answer any of my questions. And he said, would you like to receive the Holy Spirit? That's all he said. And I said, sure, like not even thinking, oh, yeah, of course I want to receive that. Because I knew about Holy Spirit, of course, you know, being raised Catholic. And all he did was put his hands on me. Name of Jesus, boom. My personal experience was if you look at it the way a, a construction worker is out on the street when he's plowing into a street and has to get a hole and he has the jackhammer and he's, you know, he's going like this. He's plowing, you know, because the, the, the machine, the instrument he's using is so powerful, so, you know, it shakes his body. And what happened to me was I could feel this supernatural presence of God go through my body. And just, you know, like, like, I, I still don't know how to describe it. And all of a sudden, I started speaking in other tongues. And it kind of, I remember in my mind going, what's going on here? Like, you know, I was a little freaked out, like not really understanding, but I couldn't stop. And that's how, that's what happened to me. It doesn't happen to everybody that way. Uh, some people, you know, it's all different. But that's, but that's what happened to me. And, and I thank God, um, but it, it also I know plenty of wonderful people, uh, you know, who don't have this gift but have so many other gifts. So, you know, that's, I, I, I guess the main thing I want to get across is this is, you know, if it's a gift from God, it's, it's not just for a certain time in the church. It's for today. It's, it's available to you, to others. Um, should you want to receive it, should you have that curiosity? And the other thing, just real quick, I'll close with this. Um, I, it was shortly thereafter, maybe six months, seven months later, some friends uh, who I come to meet, I wound up going to a Kenneth Hagen meeting in Nanuet, New York. And I will never forget this. And I still remember this as clear as day. And, and he's on, I guess, the altar. Um, 
And the first time I heard him and what he's, this is Kenneth Hagin Sr., what he's gone on to be with the Lord many years ago, um, what many refer to him as Papa Hagen. And I, I just, I remember this as clear as day. All of a sudden he stopped. Now this is, was a uh, Pentecostal type charismatic church. And he started to speak in tongues in a certain rhythm. And, and I'm watching him again, and I'm not sure what's going on. And this went on for a minute, two minutes, three minutes. I don't remember. Um, but he would pause. He would stop. He would, his emotions would go up. His inflections would, would kind of sway. There was a rhythm. There was a definitive rhythm to it. And then he paused for however many seconds. Then the Lord gave him the interpretation. And I remember it, in, in during that rhythm, maybe halfway through, all of a sudden, he started to laugh, not hysterical laugh, just like ha-ha type, you know, from 30 seconds, whatever. And then when he started to give the interpretation, I noticed, be, just because of my background as an engineer, that the rhythm was following what he just did in tongues. His body, his inflections, his tone, was it, it, it was a pattern that, it, you know, it was almost like a mirror on one side to the other, and then it got to, in time, in sync, like a minute and a half, two minutes into is when the laughter occurred. This is when the laughter occurred in the interpretation. And it was the Lord interpreting that he was laughing at Satan, that Satan's tactics, whatever it was. And you can believe me, not believe me, it's, it's up to you. This was my experience, and this is what I observed, and I will never forget it. And I, I was convinced because of what I saw, what I heard, in my natural eyes and the interpretation that he was given, um, and you do usually don't see this, I would say somebody else would give the interpretation, but in this instance, uh, it, it was one and the same person. So, you know, that's my experiences. And it's just, you know, nothing to be afraid of, nothing to be apprehensive about. Uh, and, and, and that's really what, you know, what I wanted to say, where I wanted to leave it. So hopefully, I hope that I may have cleared up some things, made some things um, a, a little bit more readily understanding if you hadn't had that before. Uh, but I, I, I just felt very strongly that I needed to do this today. So I hope somebody out there, it, it blesses, it edifies, it strengthens someone. But if you do have any further questions or comments, please email russicoutlook at gmail.com. Any prayer requests, I'm happy to take it. Uh, but I just want to thank you for your time and just... You know, God bless you. My name is Mark. You've been listening to the Russic Outlook. And remember, as always, just my opinion.